Kiwi late. It's going to be close here. Kiwi's going to beat them all with a mighty run. Piping Lane races up the Manufeek, takes the lead in the cup. Out wide is Guns in Stormy Seas, but Piping Lane's going to win the cup. But it's Doremus nicely clear in the Melbourne Cup. He's got the cup one. He's holding nothing like a Dane, and Doremus wins the cup. Rain Lover and Alsop, they're going head and head. Rain Lover on the inside. Rain Lover's got his neck in front and one by a neck. Champagne and Jezebel. Champagne, Jezebel fighting back. Jezebel, Champagne, they hit the line. Jezebel wins the cup from Champagne. But a champion becomes a legend. McCarty Debra's won it. American Travian. Celebrating Australia's greatest race. The history of the Melbourne Cup. Pelion coming from the clouds on the outside, rising fast is too far in front, however, and in the run of the boat, rising fast, going to win the Melbourne Cup by two legs from Helion. Right fingers goes to Zima, they hit the line locked together. Dead eat! A dead eat in the Melbourne Cup, Zima and Light Fingers. Rain Lover's eight lengths in front, going further away, and Rain Lover wins the Melbourne Cup by ten lengths. Here's Brian Martin. In 1895, the famous American writer Mark Twain arrived in Melbourne prior to the Melbourne Cup. He attended Flemington to see the outsider Araria, a three-year-old filly at 33-1, to 1, beat the favourite Hover in the Cup. The race was only 34 years old, and 85,000 gathered at Flemington for the great race. In his book, Following the Equator, Twain wrote of his visit, quote, Nowhere in the world have I encountered a festival of people that has such a magnificent appeal to the whole nation. The Melbourne Cup astonishes me, unquote. A horse race that is rich in our culture, from the battlers to the rich Arabs of Dubai. From the Irish and the English, they come for the great race. Welcome to the history of the Melbourne Cup. Track rider for Bart Cummings, the Cup's king, was Joe Agresta. For 34 years, he was the man that was doing all the work behind the scenes, along with the rest of the stable that made Bart such a champion. Joe, um... 1980, that's when you first entered the stable here at Flemington? Yeah, it was January of 1980, and uh, yeah, I thought I'd last a, two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month, um, and I'll end up being there for 34 years. That's extraordinary, and, and I've said to you many times in interviews, what was the key to, the, to Bart and the genius of Bart? You said there was no key. There's no key. Uh, it was there for everybody to see. Um, he never hit it. If you wanted to watch his horses work or what you wanted to follow what he did with his horses, um, he never hit anything. And um, people asked me what was his secret. I said the secret was there was no secret. Um, it was just kept them warm, good feed, hard work, and got them 110% fit. And that's why he was such a genius. When you came to the stable in January of 1980, uh, Hyperno in 79 had won the cup and Bart had a good good decade in the 70s. He'd won uh, twice with Think Big. Uh, he'd won with Golden Black in 77 and Hyperno in 79. So four wins through the, the decade of the 70s. You must have put a hoodoo on him because he didn't win a cup through the 80s. Yeah, well, actually, I, uh, for a couple of years there, I thought, um, you know, he's supposed to be the cup's king and uh, he's winning Melbourne Cups and... When I started there, like I'd, I think I'd been there about three or four years, and I started thinking I must be a jinx because uh, we, we never even got near it. And um, it was a time through the 80s that Bart actually fell on hard times. There was a, uh, a Cups King uh, syndicate put together by businessmen emanating out of uh, Sydney. Um, they went to the Easter sales. They spent, I think it was about $22 million. There was a crash on Wall Street and the, the bottom fell out of the economy globally and Bart was left um, holding the baby. It was a terrible time for him. 
It was terrible, but um, as uh, Mrs Cummings, Valerie Cummings, said to me uh, later on, she said the day that it happened, that he lost the $20 million, she said um, he walked in that night and he said, G'day, Val, what's for dinner? So uh, I don't know whether it, you know, whether it worried him or not, but that's, that was just the kind of man he was. And I think he was about 64 years old. And what man can pick themselves up 64 years old that you're broke? Um, well, he didn't want to go broke. But he, he could have gone bankrupt. But he said no. He said he wanted to trade his way out. And um, that was the kind of man he was. And, um, you know, as it turned out, he did trade his way out. And, yeah, he got another five Melbourne Cup winners. <laughs> It's extraordinary when you look back at that, the resilience of the man to keep the stable going, to keep staff, to keep clients, people still wanting to put horses into the stable and, and still have that on your mind. And we're talking sort of 30, over 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, I remember when it happened, um, I think I'd been, I, I think it was the late 80s. Um, I'd probably been there about six or seven years. And I remember walking into Flemington Racecourse and um, a few people were telling me, they said, oh, your boss is finished, he's gone. Um, his cactus, you know, you name it, they, they said it. And um, a couple of other trainers approached me to go and work for them and they offered me more money. And it was a time when um, I think we hadn't had a winner for probably seven or eight months. I don't know, Brian, I don't know what kept me there. Um, I was happy to stay there. Um, for whatever reason, I can't tell you. Yeah, he, he come back with a vengeance. The 90s were a great time for him and... A horse who came into the stable was a horse, we talk about horses being regally bred, but what about this horse, Kingston Rule, by Secretariat, one of the all-time American champions, from Rose of Kingston, you couldn't get a better pedigree. What's your recollection of, of Kingston Rule? I remember when he, um, when he, when he come to us, um, they told me that Tommy Smith sacked him. Look, whether Tommy Smith sacked him or whether his brother Ernie had something to do with it, I, I don't really know. It's just, um, yeah, it's something I don't, I don't really know, but we ended up um, getting Kingston Rule and, and Bart said he said um, he said well we'll send him straight to Melbourne you know set him for the for the Melbourne Cup lot the, the next year when he walked in he was just a beautiful individual he was very he was light uh, lean um, leggy as you know when you look at a horse you say look he's very immature and that's what he was and um, I think he, for his first run for and I started riding him work because he was a little bit temperamental and um I think his first run for us, he ran second. And, you know, we couldn't believe, like... And he was working really good up to that. And um, we thought, how did he run 50 yards last, you know, you know, for Tommy? And I regarded Tommy as, as a great trainer. And, I, you know, um, I thought he was probably the equal of Bart. Um, and they were, they were two completely different trainers, but probably the same calibre. Yeah, we found out later on that um, uh, he raced on a heavy track. And that was his downfall, and that's probably why they sacked him. And look, if he had a raced on heavy track with us, having his first start, he probably would have done the same thing. So, uh, yeah, he just went along in in, le in the first preparation. I, I think we went a couple of races with him. He showed a lot of promise, but we never thought that he was going to get to that stage. Uh, so Bar tipped him out, and then he brought him back, and um, he was still very immature. And... Um, yeah, probably about three or four weeks before the Melbourne Cup, he really started to blossom. Um, and that's when, when Bart come down again and he had a look at him and I galloped him on the Tuesday before the Mooney Valley Cup. And I come back and I said to Bart, he said, well, he said, what'd you make of that, son? I said, oh, I said, I said, Bart, I said, he was shitting on Saturday. 
And um, he looked at the horse straight away and he said, he said, oh, this horse is too fat. And Leon said, um, I know Bart, he said, I keep telling him to do more work. And he said he won't go any quicker on him. Um, what I couldn't explain to them is we used to work on the wood fibre. And I didn't know at the time, but I used to get to a certain level with him. And if I tried to go any quicker, he'd slip and slide and move around. So I used to hold him together to look after him. And I, could, I was trying to explain that to Leon. And he used to tell me, no, you've got to go quicker, you've got to go quicker. Anyway, cut a long story short, I said, look, oh, I don't care what you think. I said, I, th- I still think that he'll, um, he'll win on Saturday. And I walked away. And Bart said to me, he said, don't be like that, son. He said, come back here. Um, so I went. I had to turn around and go back and face him. And he looked me in the eye and he, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do with your son. He said, if this horse wins on Saturday, he said, we'll improve him 10 lengths come Melbourne Cup Day. From the Saturday to Tuesday? From the Saturday to the Tuesday. And I thought, I turned around and I walked away and I thought, silly old bastard. <laughs> That's what I, my first impression was. I was thinking the horse was flying. He's going to win the Mooney Valley Cup. How's this, how's this guy going to improve this horse, you know, 10 lengths when he's already nearly at his best? That's what I thought he was. So and, this is from the Mooney Valley Cup, which yeah. is a Saturday, two Saturdays before two, the Cup. Yeah. So it was 10 days, actually. 10 days, yeah. yeah. So um, he won the Mooney Valley Cup which oh, I was absolutely delighted because I, I didn't say anything, but I was kind of proud of myself thinking, oh, I've got the monkey off my back, you know. He's won, he's won the, the Mooney Valley Cup. The following Saturday, he ran him in the 2500. I don't know if they call it the Dalgetty, was it? The Dalgetty, the 2500. And uh, we're in the mountain yard and Bart said to me, he said, uh, what do you think? I said, about what? He said, do you think you can win? This is a Dalgetty. I said to him, I said, if you want to, he said, you're an idiot. What do you mean if we want to? Of course we want to win. He said, what do you talk like that for? You know, <laughs> you know what he was like, yeah. Brian? I kind of walked away and then I walked. I thought, oh, I'm going to go and listen to what he tells Darren. He said to Darren, he said, look, he said, just let him drop right out. Um, he said, just let him run along. He said, look, if he can win under his own steam, he said, you know, by all means do. He said, but when you go for him, when you hit him, he said, hit him like you're going to hit me. <laughs> In other words, don't hit him at all. Anyway, it was a sensational run, and he ran second to, I think, Mount Olympus. That was on the Saturday. Bart said, oh, he said, oh, he said, tomorrow, he said, you can trot and canter him. And he said, on uh, Monday, he said, we'll gallop him again. And I Cup thought, Eve. Yeah, Cup Eve. And I thought, this horse doesn't need the gallop. So um, I trotted and canned him on the, on, the, on the Sunday, and then on the Monday... Bart was up in the box, so I trod him around two laps around the inside sand and he come back and I went to get my instructions and he said, how does he feel, Joe? I said, oh, I said, I think he's felt the run, Bart. Like trying to convince Bart not to gallop him and he goes, <laughs> he goes, go a mile aim too <laughs> in 26 and look after him. <laughs> like having a go at me, I thought he's going to kill this horse. So um, I went a mile home too. He, he, he felt sensational. Um, cup morning, I went two evens, um, and he still holds the record today. So uh, you know, it was just just a marvellous man. And you know what he did with horses was un- unbelievable. And, and I used to ride and work, and I keep thinking he's going to kill him. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to do too much. And and Brian, he was he was probably right nearly ninety nine point nine times. And Funny thing, after the after that race the next day, he said to me, he said, oh, I'll saddle him up, he said, and, and trot him around. 
And I think he was that proud that he had won a Melbourne Cup when he'd come back from, you know, what happened to him, that he didn't say anything, but I, I could feel that I think he was proud and just wanted to show the horse off to the public and that. Which is not like Bart, and it was sort of a, a form of sort of saying, yeah, I am back, I am back. Yeah. The 80s were, were cruel to me. Um, I'm not gone. Yeah. And and that wasn't like Bart to sort of show off. Yeah. But he must have been so proud that he, he was back and he, yeah. he triumphed yet again. Yeah, well, I, I felt that. Nobody's ever said it. Nobody's ever thought it. But I thought that that's what it was. And then... Um, because I only trotted and canned him once around the inside. It was nothing, right? And uh, then I got off. He said, oh, get off and give him a pick of grass. Let all the cameramen come around and they were talking. And he said to me, he said, you let that be a lesson to your son. I said, what? He said, if they don't do the work, he said, they can't win the race. He said, um, you see the phantom? I said, yeah. He said, he runs second. He said, he run a great race in the Cox Plate. He said, they wrapped him up in cotton wool. He said if they, if they had to run this horse on the Phantom on Saturday, he said he would have beaten us. I said, really? He goes, I'm telling you. And he was adamant um, that he said the horse ran out of condition. He ran to him. He was going to beat him, wasn't he? He was going to beat him. And um, I think the extra couple of gallops and <laughs> probably probably helped us. And uh, that's why he was so great at, at preparing him for, for the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. This is the record-breaking win of uh, a very good horse called Kingston Rule. Kingston Rule gets out. Kingston Rule gabs the run in the middle and the Phantom going for a run at the 150. Kingston Rule took the lead from the Phantom getting up on the inside. It's Kingston Rule. The Phantom followed by Mr Brooker. Kingston Rule in front. Kingston Rule wins the Melbourne Cup. On RSN 927, we're celebrating the history of the Melbourne Cup, Australia's greatest race. Nineteen ninety-one, Joey, and uh, you had a great hand this particular year. Uh, a horse had come from uh, New Zealand. It wasn't a terribly impressive, sort of looking, gangly mare that came into the stable called Metzalo. No, she was actually she was quite ordinary to be, to be honest. She's a big. We said like slabby. Looked like a mountain goat. Yeah. Uh, just really hairy and ugly head and. Um, uh, actually, she walked in with Richfield Lady, and everybody was admiring Richfield Lady because she had won three straight, or three or four straight over in New Zealand, and that was the main reason they went over to to buy Richfield Lady. And um, yeah, nobody really took any notice of her, so they just threw her down in a box down the bottom. Uh, Dean Cridge, uh, one of the guys that was strapping for us, nobody wanted to really look after him. Dean goes, he said, "Oh, he said, oh, I'll look after her," you know. So uh, Dean ended up with uh, with Let's Elope, and. Um, uh, my mate Charlie Pasala, he was, we used to call him autumn leaves, he used to fall off all the times. <laughs> and uh, he started riding her and she was that quiet and we used to go out in groups of fours and fives all the time and he was always 100 yards behind us and um, he rode her for the first six weeks and then when we started galloping, he'd gallop with me and we'd gallop in, in pairs and um, he couldn't keep up. So um, one morning Leon got, you know, got mad and he said, he said, look, he said, get on this man, give her a hit around the backside and just see what we got. He said, she's doing nothing. So uh, I had to go four evens home two on her that morning and I'd give her a slap around the backside and Brian, she just took off like I, like you wouldn't believe. I couldn't believe the acceleration and I come back and I said, he goes, how was she? I said, I said, Leon, I said, this is, this is pretty good. He goes, you're kidding? I said, Leon, it's real good. 
He goes, you're kidding. I said, Leon, I said, I'm telling you. I said, it was freakish what she did. And he goes, oh, okay. Um, he goes, don't say nothing. I said, no. Nah. So Charlie went to get on it the next morning. And Leon goes, no, no, no. He said, you can't get on that. You give it a sore back. <laughs> that was the end of Charlie. And uh, I stayed on it for the uh, the rest of the, rest of the preparation and the preparation after that. I remember the uh, three runs she had in September at uh, Caulfield was the first run for Bart. She ran fourth at 50 to one. Then she ran third in the Milady, uh, a listed race at Flemington in mid-September, and then struck a wet track in the uh, Caulfield Royal Show uh, meeting on the 26th of September. But then she went to the Turnbull in early October 91, and that started it all. Was that the day you put the blinkers on, on a fast track? Yeah, it was. Uh, no, I don't think she had the blinkers on in the Turnbull. Um, I, I, I might be wrong, but uh, what happened at Caulfield was... Um, we booked Shane Dye, and Leon said, he said, oh, this is your Caulfield Melbourne Cup ride. Me not being a punter, I just thought, it's money for jam. So I went and collected 200 bucks, so $200 on it, and um, I thought, oh, it's just easy money. Anyway, she jumped out, and she finished, I think she finished about second or third last. And Shane Dye got off, he said, it's no good. And Bart just stood there, and he didn't even look at me. He said, I thought you said this was pretty good. I said, Slow oh. track. Yeah, I didn't know. And I said to Bart, I said, I don't know what happened, Bart. He said, oh, well. And then Leon said to him, he said, oh, well, that's the end of our Caulfield Melbourne Cup. Bart said, why? Leon goes, we, he said, we haven't qualified for the Caulfield Cup. He goes, well, there's next week. And Leon goes, you can't run her again next week. He goes, who said we can't? <laughs> so uh, on the Tuesday morning, well, we took her to the ball ring on the Sunday morning because we thought she wasn't trying. So uh, the old ball ring of Flemington, uh, we run around there for about 15 minutes and uh, Leon got his frustration out <laughs> on her. And uh, on the Tuesday morning, I had to go mile home, mile home three. And Leon said, he said, when you get to the, the 600, he said, give, just, he said, make her do it. He said, give her a, a roar and give her a hit around the backside. Well, I got to the 600, Brian, and um, I just growled at her. I didn't have time to to pull the stick on her, and she just took off. I just had to grab hold of her. She ran the last three in about, you know, probably 33 and a half, and I come back and I said, Leon, I said, I don't know what happened the other day. I said, they won't get near this on Saturday. He goes, oh, that's what you told me last time. I said, Leon, I don't know. I said, I said you clocked her, and um, he was te testing me. He said, what did she run? I said, oh, I said, oh she ran about 33 and a half. Yeah, what'd you run the last 400? What'd you run the last 200? And uh, anyway, she come out and she won the Turnbull and um, yeah, she just went on from there. And we, we found out later on it was it was a wet tracks. She uh, started a sequence in the Turnbull that uh, took her with Stephen King on, young Stephen King, who was about to turn 21, I think, on around Cup Day. She went the Turnbull, Caulfield Cup, McKinnon, Melbourne Cup and just kept going and then returned in the oar in the autumn and was absolutely dynamic winning there. Then she won the St George in the Australian Cup. Seven wins through the spring and into the autumn. Uh, she was unstoppable. Well, I thought, Brian, at the time, the way we had her and the way she was going and the way she kept improving every start, I thought there'd be no horse in the world that could have beaten her when she was on song. And she proved that later on when she went to America and beat the, the best mare in, in America. Yeah. Um, I mean, she got relegated, but... She beat flawlessly, flawlessly in the, in the Beverly right. D, yeah. Yeah, and, um, like, she come from behind flawlessly, went straight past her, but she used to duck in, and she brushed 
flawlessly on the way through and beat her by about two lengths, and then they, and they disqualified her. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's just what what they do in America. But uh, it just proved how what a great mare she was. And come Cup Day, that was 1991. Stable had Shiva's Revenge in the race, and there was a dramatic finish. Like she went past Shiva's Revenge, but. In going past a few of them, she tightened them up, and there was a lot of lot of interference, including Shiva's revenge. But she did beat the stablemate comprehensively. Then it went to the stewards' room. So, how did you feel in that duration when the when the, when the stewards were adjudicating uh, on this protest? Second against first, and they're both from Bart Stable. Well, um, I know Bart had her going for a, quite a bit of money for in the double because uh, when I when we told them that um, you know she was real good, um, it came out that someone back to, to win a million dollars to win the Caulfield Melbourne Cup and we still think it was Bart. I had taken the double, I think, three days before the Caulfield Cup. So that's how stupid I was. I got the I got the least I, I think I had a going for a you know, probably fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars or something, something like that. And um when Shane Dye said that he was gonna protest, he said to Bart, he said, I'm gonna protest and Bart said, Well he said, do the sporting thing and walked away, and I thought, well, what's the sporting thing? I still don't know to today what the sporting thing was, but we walked into the scales, and I walked right, because oh, I said to Bart, I said, Bart, I said, you can't let him protest. He said, oh, we'll be right, son. He said, we'll be right, we'll be right. I said, okay. Um, so we walked in the scales, and I walked directly behind Bart, because I wanted to see what was going on, whether Shane, and Shane died, got on the scales, and he looked at Bart, and Bart looked at him, and it was like a Mexican standoff, and, and, Shane Dye just glared at Bart for a couple of seconds and he said, protest. And Bart just put his binoculars under his arm and, and, and he walked into the steward's room. And I believe that everyone had their say and they asked Bart, they said, what do you think, Bart? He said, I'll leave it up to you guys. You guys are the experts. <laughs> so he more or less put it back on them. Um, and, and, and it was dismissed. So, uh, yeah, everything was fine. But look, Shiva's was a great horse. But like I kept saying to everyone, he, he couldn't blow wind up her backside. She was she was a class above Shiva's revenge. Classic line, the media gathered outside the stewards' room waiting for the protest as it was pending, second against first. Bart trains first and second. Yeah. Peter Dottingham from Channel 10 went to Bart. He said, Bart, what do you think? Can't and lose. Bart said the classic line, can't lose. Can't lose, yeah. Well, he, but he, you know what? He said that. But he could have lost. <laughs> At the 300 metre mark, Lapsalope has raced up now to Ivory Way. And Alma Hebden, Magnolia Hall, superimposed. But the favourite has raced away in the Melbourne Cup. It's Lapsalope. This great mare has raced away from Ivory Way, superimposed. And then Magnolia Hall. And Shiva's revenge, but Lapsalope has won the Melbourne Cup. We're talking with Joe Agresta, track rider for the great trainer Bart Cummings, through some glorious years, 34 years working for the stable. Fast forward on to 1996 and Saintly. This horse was very close to Bart's heart. He bred the horse. Uh, he was a part owner of the horse. How good was he? He, he was real good. Like, as you know, when, when he broke down, uh, well, he nearly died in Japan. And then he come back and he, and he um, won the 1400, the ore stakes. Mm. And after he won the ore stakes, I think about three or four days later, I galloped him. And I said, we haven't even touched the sides with this horse. We haven't even got close to how good he was. Um, unfortunately, he bowed a tendon and never raced again. Um, but it's probably like a lot of other great horses. I've, I feel sad for him because I thought he could have been an all-time great. But then you look at horses like Dulcify. You know, if he hadn't have broken down, 
I'd say he probably would have won that cup that Hyperno won, yeah. and he probably would have gone on to greatness. I think it was a, he was one of the best horses I've seen, Dulcify. He was a horse that, Bart, he never said it, but I know Bart just loved that horse. He was never really a man to get real close to a horse, but every time he come to the stables, he'd walk straight up to his box and he'd pat him and he'd look at him, and um, it was something really special for him. And I think for him to win the Melbourne Cup, it was a like it was the best plan that he of Bart's to win the Melbourne Cup with his horse. That you could nobody could understand what he did with his horse to win a Melbourne Cup. He gave up a Caulfield Cup, which he would have he would have won the Caulfield Cup if he had to run him. Well, I didn't know at the time, but he told me he said um, when he come down, I think he run in the Metrop and uh, the Craven A Plate and, right. and the Metrop and got beaten in both. Yeah, and he rang up and he said. Um, Oh, I'm sending this horse saintly down. He said, I want you to freshen him up. And I said, okay, I didn't think anything of it, you know. So after about a week, he was there. And Bart goes, how's he going? I said, Bart, you've got to run him. I said, he, he's, I said, he's jumping out of his skin. And he, <laughs> he just laughed, right? He said, I've learned something about this horse. I didn't ask him. As you know, Bart, you never asked him what he learned because he wouldn't tell you anyway. So what we did is... Um, we got him ready. He said, "I'm going to run him, run him in the in the Cox Plate." Anyway, I galloped, I galloped him in the Valley, and he said, "He said, oh, what did you think?" And I said, "Bart, I said he won't get, I said he won't get around the turn." I said, "He, I said his work was sensational." I said, "But he can't handle the turn." I said, "He won't get around." Was he too big? He, he was too, too gangly. Too big and gangly. And um, Bart said, "He said, well, the Cox Plate's here." He said, "And this is where he's racing." I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, I'm telling you, he won't get around the bend." Um, then again. He didn't get around the bend. I was right, but he still won. He won the Cox Plate. And then um, I found out that uh, Bart wasn't going to run him on the Saturday. And what happened was is he knew the horse didn't back up. He had done it with every Melbourne Cup runner that I've known, he said, except with, without Saintly. Um, run them on Derby Day and run them on Derby Day. Didn't do it. And that's when he said, I've learned something about this horse. And... Um, I believe, I still believe to this day that he didn't run the horse in the Caulfield Cup. He gave up the Caulfield Cup because he could have won the Caulfield Cup easily, but he didn't want the horse to be penalised. Um, he wanted to make sure that he won the Melbourne Cup, and I think it was, I think it was the most, probably the most special one for Bart out of all the ones that he's trained. You know, even though I wasn't there for his first four or five or six, and he would have been happy, I, I still believe the Saintly would have been the one that you know, would have given the most satisfaction. The general feeling when you talk to Bart, uh, you know, and so many of uh, the media would say, who was the best Bart of the 12 Cup winners or the, the great champions that you had? You know, the Derbys and the Oaks, and, and, and there was just an endless list. And the general feeling was that the, the top two were Galilee and Saintly. I still believe, and I wasn't there, but from what I heard and just talking with Bart and thing, I... I still believe that he put Galilee on top as yeah. the best stayer that he ever had. Mm. Um, he wouldn't come out and say it, just reading, like reading between the lines. I think that if you ask me the question, which is the best horse that he had as a stayer, I'd say probably Galilee. Well, on Cup Day 1996, Darren Beedman, barrier number three in a field of 22. It was the Melbourne Cup. 
and this horse, St. Lee, the great St. Lee, was never going to get beaten. St. Lee has reached nothing like a dang grey shot, struggling, then Count Shivers, a long gap in the field for the back, Skybow, no Oscar today, St. Lee in front at the 150, Bart Cummings might have his 10 Melbourne Cups, St. Lee's gone two lengths, Count Shivers, then on the inside is Senator from Skybow, but St. Lee wins the Melbourne Cup, St. Lee. Joe, as we uh, progress down through the years, through the 90s, after 96, it was 97, 98, the stable missed in those years. But then a horse called Rogan Josh, Johnny Marshall, got the prize and got the job done well. Uh, a horse who came out of WA. Yeah, he. Um, I think Bart had watched the, the Perth Cup the year before and he ran second. And Bart had nothing to do with the horse coming to us. Bart never approached Wendy. I don't think he, he didn't even know her at the time. He was just happened to be there. Um, he saw the horse run second, but I don't think anything come of it um wendy was in shares with her brother i think and her brother wanted to sell the horse and Wendy didn't want to sell it um what i believe is that uh, wendy bought him out and she said i want to take the horse to melbourne and win the melbourne cup the guy that had it that was training him said if you're going to go to if you want to go down that path there's only one guy you you send the horse to is that's bart cummings so uh i believe wendy rang bart and asked him would she take the horse and he said of course we'll take him so uh the horse come to Melbourne. Um, he was a very hard puller. Um, for what what reason, I don't know. Uh, they just said, Joe, you're riding him. So I rode him from, from day one, right through. And Bart rang me about three weeks after he was there. And he said, he said, oh, what's that Perth horse like? I said, I said, Bart, he's a beautiful gelding. I said, he's going really good. Um, he said, oh, that's fine. So um, another probably three or four weeks after that, he said, he said, how's that horse going? I said, look, he's going good, Bart. I said, but I reckon he's only just a handicapper. You know, I don't, th- I don't think he's that good. Um, he said, oh, good. He said, we'll get him in with a light weight then. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, basically, Bart didn't see him for a while. And then um, I said to Reg, I said, if you put blinkers on him, I said, I think, I said, you'll, you'll win the JRA Cup. And he ended up running seventh in the JRA Cup and, um, that was at Mooney Valley, yeah? yeah Mooney Valley, and we were really, really disappointed. And we, I sat up there on the stand with Reg in five minutes, and he said, what'd you make of that? And I said, I said, Reg, I said, his work's a lot better than what his, his race was. I think Wendy, Wendy was pretty upset because the horse run bad, and uh, we were upset because uh, the horse run bad, and we couldn't couldn't make head and a tail of it. And Bart rang her the next morning, and he knew she was upset, and he said, oh, he said, G'day. Good morning, Wendy. He said, I believe you did your day last night. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know what transpired, but uh, Bart said, look, it's only a hiccup. Don't worry about it. He said, we'll be back on track. And um, he said, give me a couple of weeks with him. He said, uh, you'll see a different horse. And I thought, you won't see a different horse because he can't work any better than what he's been working. Um, he wasn't working like a, like a champion, but he was working like a good stayer. Um, Bart come down, had a look at him and we said, you're, you're too soft on him. He said, Tuesday, I want you to go a mile and a quarter home three. Thursday, I want you to go a mile and a quarter home three. Saturday, I want you to go a mile and a quarter evens. Take him, he said, you can take him to Bricks with the Stars. It'll do him good next the, the following Tuesday to Caulfield. Um, he said, Thursday, you go a mile and a quarter home three. He said, we'll see what happens. So I did it, and I thought, he's going to kill this bloody horse. You know? <laughs> he's going to murder him. He won't, he'll be that tight. He won't be able to. Anyway, he won by about five. Um, and I've said to numerous people, I said, it's just trying to explain it 
I, I say it's like taking a four-cylinder motor out of a car and dropping a V8 engine in him, and that's what Bard did to that horse. And he ended up, well, he ran a great race in the Caulfield Cup. He ran fourth, and uh, Chrissy Munts went too early on him. Went, went, he, he took off at the half mile, and um, he ran fourth. And we said, oh, geez, it was a great run. He only got beat a couple of lengths. And anyway, Chrissy Munts said to me, he grabbed me and he said, oh, can you go and tell Bard that I want to ride him in the Melbourne Cup? I said, oh, I, I didn't like doing stuff like that because I always, they always make a fool of you, you know, whether, whether Bart does or the jockey does or whatever. Anyway, I said, all right, I'll go and tell him. So Bart was up there having a drink and I said, oh, I said, Bart, Chris asked me to ask you, can he have the ride in the Melbourne Cup? He says, yeah, go back and tell him as long as he doesn't get an itchy ass like he did today. <laughs> <laughs> so like an idiot, I went back and told him, I said, I said, he said, you can ride the horse in the Melbourne Cup as long as you don't get an itchy ass like you did today. He said, no, no, sweet, mate, sweet. Little be names to me that Bart had already sacked him. <laughs> anyway, when he found out he got sacked, he said, oh, he said I've been shafted by white-collar bandits. <laughs> he said, straight away, he just said, oh, we'll get Johnny Marshall. You know, he loved Johnny Marshall. Johnny Marshall was loyal. Um, Bozam, it was Johnny Marshall's yeah, horse here. Yeah. Johnny Marshall was like myself. We did our work, we did what he wanted us to, we never complained, we never argued, um, and he had just, but he was like that and he had that bit of confidence in us. So, uh, yeah, Johnny Marshall come down and um, he rode him on the Saturday and I said to Reggie, Reggie Fleming, I said, I'm not going to tell Johnny that when you hit this horse with a stick that he finds three or four lengths. I said, we'll save it till cup day. So um, he goes out there and, uh, in the McKinnon, he pulls out, and I'm thinking, don't hit him, don't hit him, because <laughs> I wanted to save him, you know. I didn't want him to knock him about. Anyway, I give him two or three hits around the backside, and the horse just lengthened, and he and he won. And Johnny come back, and he goes, he goes, oh, I said, good on you, mate. He said, oh, geez, he finds when you hit him, doesn't he? I said, oh, I said, we're going to save that to a cup day, but you found out today. Yeah, and then the horse, he ended up winning the Melbourne Cup, and... How did you feel coming in Cup Day? Were you confident? Oh, I was very confident. I went and saw Leon because he had a, a horse called, Le, I think, Labile in, in the race. Yeah, yeah. And I went and saw him on the Monday night because Leon had left by then. And I said to Leon, I said, um, I just went come to wish you luck, you know. He goes, yeah. He said, um, what about your bloke? I said, Leon, I said, he's turned this horse into a way for age horse. I said, he's not, he's not a way for age horse, mate, I'm telling you. I said, but he's won a way for age race with him. I said... I said, Bart wants to go back with him. He's drawn 22 or 23 or something. I said, Bart wants to go back. I said, I've been pestering him to go forward. I said, because he's not good enough. If you go back, you're going to give him 10-length start. I said, he won't make up the ground. He said, is he going that good? I said, Leon, I'm telling you, I said, if they go forward with him, I said, he'll win. And he said, oh, I hope Bart doesn't listen to you. <laughs> I kept telling Peter Mason, Peter, you've got to tell Bart, you've got to go forward, you've got to go forward. And Anyway, Peter, in, in the finish, Peter said to me, he said, why don't you bloody tell him yourself? I said, he won't listen to, listen to me. I said, he might listen to you, Peter, you know. Anyway, come cup day, uh, it was about two hours before the cup, and Peter come up and he said, we're going forward. I said, oh, you beauty. And Brian, on it, you know what Bart was like. To this day, I never asked him, was it my influence? Was it that Bart did the form with somebody? Uh, whatever it was, they went forward. That's all I cared about. I don't know whether it was me or whether it was Bard or whatever it was. Well, they went forward and the horse won by a neck 
or so, and um, I'm 150% sure that if they had gone back, the horse wouldn't have won. So, and he ended up winning the Melbourne Cup. No trainer in the world, Brian, I'm telling you, would have won a Melbourne Cup with that horse, Bar Bart. He got that horse, that fit, that he turned him into a way-for-age horse. This is 1999 and Rogan Josh. No sky heights today. Central Park, Rogan Josh. Travel mate Zazabel coming at them. It's Central Park, the leader, Rogan Josh, coming out after him. It's Central Park and Rogan Josh. Central Park, Rogan Josh. Bart's got his 11th. Rogan Josh wins the Cup from Central Park. On RSN 927, we're celebrating the history of the Melbourne Cup, Australia's greatest race. View dash to the front now. View raced away from them from The last of the 12, this magnificent dozen that Bart has prepared to win the Melbourne Cup. His first runner was in 1958, and it was 2008 with a horse called Viewed, by the barest of margins. Tell us about Viewed. Yeah, look, he was a he was a he was a, a stallion, uh, beautiful, quiet horse, um, just a gem to ride. The only thing that nobody could hold him on the track, he used to pull that hard that. Um, he used to go too quick and uh, burn up all his energy and um, once again he come down they said Joe you're going to ride him because he's a hard puller Brian to be quite honest I used to ride him every morning I'd come home I couldn't even hold my cup of coffee in my hand my you know my arms were aching he used to pull that that hard and I, I used to say to people I say he can't win races working like that just working himself into the ground and um I was walking down the track one morning with uh, a track rider, Mick Lockett. I said, Mick, I said, I don't know what to do with this horse. I said, I said, we've, I said, and Reggie tried everything. Like Reggie was like Bart. You tried Norton bit, tongue tie, crossover nose band. We tried everything possible, straight bits, you name it. Um, you just, 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 it was like a steam train. Just run. All he wanted to do was run. And Mick Lockett goes, he said, oh, why don't you try a bit of hay band? I said, what do you mean, a bit of hay band? I said, I've never heard of that. He goes, well, you'd be the only bloke that hasn't. <laughs> and he said, um, are you willing to, to give it a try? I said, Mick, I said, I'll give anything a try. So it was only just a bit of hay band, and Mick showed me how to put it on over, the, over, his, over his ears and across his nose. I put it on, he went to pull that morning, and he just spat the bit out, and I used to ride him at the end of the buckle, and he improved out of sight. And I did that for probably nearly three months. He was another horse that... Nobody would have won a Melbourne Cup with him, Bart Bart. Um, I think about a month before he got a virus, Ridge goes, oh, because that's the end of our preparation. I said, oh, well, we walked him for a week because uh, I rode him the Monday morning and I said he's really, really lethargic. So they checked him out and he had a virus. So they, so they walked him... Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then... The following Monday, I trotted and canted him, and uh, Reg goes, he goes, what's he like? I said, I said, Reg, he's back to normal. He said, oh, we've taken his temperature and that he's good as gold. So he rang Bart and he said, oh, he said, Bart, he said that horse is good as gold. He said, um, we're back on track. Bart said, yeah, yeah. He said, he said, we're not back on track. He said, we lost a week. He said, I want you to go mile and a quarter evens home three on him tomorrow morning. Reg goes, 
But he hasn't worked for a week. Yeah, what's that got to do with it? He said, we've got to play catch-up. And Reggie got off the phone. He said, he's mad, this bloke. I'm telling you, he's mad. He said, why would you gallop a horse over a mile and a quarter? He said, he hasn't worked for a whole week. What I'm saying is, Brian, there's no trainer in the world would have done that. We had to do what we were told because we, he probably had spies there, you know. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably ring up someone and say, see how that horse works for me. Um, and Anyway, the horse come through. Uh, two weeks later, he was supposed to race in the Caulfield Stakes and he kicked out and got scratched. So two weeks later was the Caulfield Cup. Anyway, uh, Reggie said to Bart, he said, um, he said, we can't run in the Caulfield Cup. Bart goes, do you want to run in the Melbourne Cup? He said, yeah. He said, well, he's got to run in the Caulfield Cup. Bart's policy must have a, a, a run over a mile and a half before you run in the Cup. Reggie goes, Bart, he said, he hasn't raced for a month. He goes, you can't run him in the Caulfield Cup. He says, can't you find a mile and a quarter race? And at that moment, Bart was really stern. He said, you want this horse to run in the Melbourne Cup? Of course we do, Bart. Well, he's running in the Caulfield Cup. End of story. Anyway, he, he, he'd run midfield, but his last, his last 200 was real good. He ran in the McKinnon, and he ran last. And I thought he was very, very disappointing. Reggie kept telling me, he goes, oh, his sectionals are really good and all that. And I don't believe in sectionals. I just, I only believe in what I see. Anyway, I knew the horse was probably not even 100% fit. And Bart normally has him 110% fit. Come cup day, we're walking down with Reg and actually we were at the stables. I just pulled up and we're ready to walk down and Bart pulls up. He said, uh, g'day boys, what are you doing? We just said, we're just ready to go to the races. He said, oh, oh, that's good. He said, oh, listen, Reggie, he said, before you go to the races, he said, can you water these roses? He said, they look a bit dry. Reg goes, Bart, it's cup day. He goes, it doesn't matter. He goes, just water the roses before you go. <laughs> and Reg, Reg said, he said, he's kidding this bloke. I said, don't worry about him. I said, let's go. So we, we wandered down. Anyway, we, we wandered down to, uh, to the, we wandered down to the races. And Reggie said, what do you think? I said, oh, Reg, I said, I don't know. I said, I like the other horse better. Mower ties. Mower ties. Yeah. I said, I like mower ties. He said, why? I said, only because he's had, a, he's, he's had an uninterrupted program. I said, he's 110% fit like Bart has him. I said, I said the other guy's not, not fit enough. I said, Reg, I said, we missed, missed a whole heap of work with him. He said, I like you. He said, Joe, he said, we haven't, we've never had a tougher horse in our stables than this horse here. And I turned around, I said, well, I don't care who wins as long as one of them wins. Anyway, Viewed end up winning. Like I said, uh, any other trainer would have stopped their Cups campaign. Bart kept going. Anyway, about a week after the Cup, Bart rings up Reggie and he said, hey, Reggie boy, he said, hey, we got a... He go, I don't know how we got away with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Bart was a little bit surprised too, you know. So, uh, But what I'm saying is, Brian, he's... he's He'd do things that other trainers wouldn't do. What were the instructions to Blake Shin uh, from Bart that that year? Oh, he he told Blake. He said, um, he said, look, just ride him nice and quiet. He said, just position him midfield wherever, wherever you can get in. Because Blake was very frightened because he knew the horse was a real hard puller. And Blake said to me before he got on, he said, oh, he said, has he been pulling hard, Joe? I said, I said, Blake, I said, he hasn't pulled for three months. I said he'd been going on the end of the buckle. I didn't tell him that I had the <laughs> the, 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 the the twine, the yeah, the hay band over the top. I thought, oh, I'm not I'm not going to tell him, you know. 
And for some unknown reason, I think, even though the horse was tugging a little bit, I think he never pulled as hard as he normally does. He might have, just that one time, he might have thought that he still had it on. I already don't know, Brian, but, um, yeah, Blake took off too early. And, um, look, the horse, I don't even know how he kept going because he was, he, he was entitled to stop. Mm. Um, if Bart had put the work that he wanted in, he probably would have won by three or four lengths. As it turned out, he won by, you know, a whisker. And um, I think and Blake got the sack because <laughs> he went too early. He got the sack after winning we the cup. Rode him. We never rode him after that. Amazing. Yeah, Bart just said, nah. He said, um, he, said he, he won on it, Bart. I don't care. He said he didn't do, didn't do the right thing. That was the last of 12 wins. We'll never see something like that achieved again in our lifetime. 12 Melbourne Cup winners trained by Bart Cummings, a great trainer. I couldn't let you go without asking you about So You Think in 2010, dual Cox Plate winner. Did Bart think So You Think could win the Cup in 2010? No, he told me. Um, when I galloped him Brexit with the Stars before the Cox Plate, he said, how's he going? I said, Bart, I said, they won't get near him. I said, I know Gay Waterhouse thinks that uh, more joys you know, can beat him. I said, Bart, I said, she won't sprint for half a mile like he does. Um, fair enough. He said, um, don't worry about it. We'll be right. He said, but I want you to do me a favour. I said, what's that? He said, will you see that tall jockey tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'll see him. Stephen Arnold, he's the call him the tall jockey. He goes, um, do me a favour. He said, tell him when he hits the line in the cox plate, tell him to ride him out for another 400 metres, hands and heels, flat out. I said, okay. I walked away and I thought, he's kidding this bloke. I can't tell him that. I said, I want him to win the Melbourne, I want him to win the Cox Plate. You know? He won the Cox Plate and I was sitting up there with Bart and he was, had his glasses on. He said, that, did, that bloke didn't do what I told him. Did you tell him? I said, I did, Bart. He said, oh, he must have forgotten all the hype. What Bart was trying to do was trying to get the horse to have a run over a mile and a half. Anyway, I said to him later on, I said, oh, Bart, that was the only time that I probably didn't do what he asked me. Um, I said to him, I said, Bart, we're running in the, in the cup? He said, yeah. He said, but we can't win it. I said, Bart, it'd be too good for him. He said, that's what we're hoping, son. Bart, you'll, you'll win it. It'll be too good for him. He said, how long have you been working for me? I said, oh, 32 years. He said, haven't you learned anything? I said, Why? He said, how many times he galloped him over a mile and a quarter? I said, never. How many times has he raced over a mile and a half? I said, never. He said, well, there you go. He said, he can't win. He said, we'll win it with him next year. Even after winning the McKinnon on the Saturday? Yep, even after winning the McKinnon on the Saturday, he said he can't win. And I don't know why, but Bart always used to watch the race up in the stand. He went in the scales room and sitting on the bench outside the stewards room and watched it on television. And I know... I know that Bart knew that in the straight at some point in time the horse was going to stop. And I didn't think he would. I thought he was too good for him. And once again, Bart was right. The horse that won it was probably might have been too good for us anyway. But I think if Bart had been able to do what he wanted to, um, give him the right preparation... I think the next year he would have won the Cox Plate, and I think I think, and that year I said he would have won the Melbourne Cup because he would have had the preparation that Bart would have wanted him to, and the horse was a freak. Do you feel as though you should be taking the blame? 
for not telling the jockey to keep going for 400 metres after the cock split? Oh, I don't think I don't think so because knowing what Bard did with the horses, I think he was just trying to get that little bit, just that little one percent. I don't think that would have done the trick. I know how Bart worked his horses, and I know that Bart he'd worked that horse to win the Cox Plate, and um, that's why he didn't run into Caulfield Cup or anything like that. Um, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think it was just something that Bart had in his head and. You know, he wants to run him over a mile and a half. He might have been a bit more confident. But um, I'm nearly sure, Brian, that I wouldn't care what weight he had the next year. Um, and all due respect to Pinker Pinker, um, I think he would have beaten her from here to Burke Street. Um, he would have won three Cox Plates. And it saddens me to think... Um, I know Wings once won four, and I would never, ever compare any horses like that. Um, she was a great horse. But I think I still think to this day that he should have been the horse that should have been alongside Kingston Town at uh, three Cox Plate winners, mm. and then she well look you know we all know that she surpassed that. But yeah, I just think he would have been probably one of the all great horses of Australian racing. You know, I think his European record shows quite clearly that he just got better. Um, and even the, the the great trainer Aidan O'Brien admitted that he might have messed him up a little bit and paid. Paid homage to uh, to Bart Cummings, and Bart was in the twilight, very much in the twilight of his his training career and his life um, back in 2010. It's just extraordinary when you look back, you reflect back, you're associated with five Melbourne Cups with uh, this great trainer. And as you said, there's no key to him, there's no secret to him. Um, what an amazing time in your life, Joe. Oh, it was a great time, Brian. I, you know, um, I probably owe, well, I spent more than half my life with him. Um, you know, even now, like, you know, five years later, I'm still, you know, I'm probably 50-50, you know. So I've spent more than half my life uh, at Bart Stable. And uh, to be quite honest, Brian, I've I got offered a lot of other jobs a lot of times to go to other trainers. And I don't know what it was. For some reason or other, I just said, no, I'm happy where I am. Um, look, as you know, Bart never spoiled you. But there was just something about him that, um, you know, the more I went into my life with him, um, I understood Bart a lot more and he understood me. And I think, um, I think Brian, that he got to trust me uh, because I, I think he didn't trust a lot of people, not, not as far as not trust them, but um, he teach people uh, how to do things, foremans and... Uh, seconds in charge and after three four five years they'd all leave and um, a couple of times when Leon left and a few other people left he said oh he kept used to ring me up and say oh, I suppose you're going with them no I'm staying with you Bart you know when Nigel left he said oh, I suppose you're going with him I said no I said Bart I said don't keep asking me this these questions I said I'll leave when you sack me and he goes oh oh that's all right I won't be sacking you that'd be stupid and he hung up on me right and I think from that day he must have thought this guy's loyal, you know, which I am, mm. you know, and, and I'm proud that I, I was loyal to him, um, you know, and and got, and that's when we started to, um, he'd ring me up and he'd tell me things and he'd tell me little private things that he probably wouldn't tell anybody else, you know, um, I'll take it to my grave, um, you know, it was, things are private and um, yeah, and he taught me a lot about life, Brian, you know, um, how to accept things and don't do this, don't do that, you know. 
Um, yeah, he's look, he was more or less like a father figure to me. Great time in your life, Joe. Uh, thanks for spending time with us. No worries. Thank you, Brian. This has been the history of the Melbourne Cup, 6 till 7 Sunday mornings, every Sunday until Cup Day, on RSN, where the Spring Racing Carnival happens, and later on podcast.